Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. thinking a few months ago, I was thinking, well, i got to start getting some Christmas messages ready. But then as I was looking ahead, I'm thinking, wait a second, this passage is going to be on November 29th. And this is the perfect passage to start off our Advent season. So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Mark chapter 10. And if you have a bulletin, there is something written there on the back side or the inside, I guess, and also an opportunity for you to take some notes. This is what it says. Christmas! It's the most wonderful time of the year, as the song says. We know the songs. We sang some of them this morning, and you hear some of the secular ones on the radio. We know the characters. We know Mary and Joseph. We know the baby Jesus. We know the wise men. We know the shepherds, we know the angels, we know Herod, we know all of the characters, we know the place, the place is Bethlehem, and I hope we know the purpose. The heart of Christmas is the understanding not that Jesus came, but why he came. And that reason was clearly stated by the angels to the shepherds, today in the town of David. up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. We're going to figure out what that's all about. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. And I have a red letter Bible, so these are Jesus' words. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests And the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. That is the reading of God's word. This is the third time, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, that Jesus mentions his suffering And right here, right now, they are on their way to Jerusalem. So we're only about four, five, six months out from the crucifixion. 
And it says that they are on their way to Jerusalem. And I want you to notice our first point is this. Jesus leads the way to Jerusalem. Jesus leads the way to Jerusalem. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. I thought that's important. Jesus was the leader of his own parade. He knew where he was going and he knew why he was going there. Now, some of you are history buffs. Or maybe some of you watched the movie National Treasure. But you know that there is a desk in the Oval Office. And it is called the the Resolute Desk. The Resolute Desk. It was built for President Rutherford Hayes in 1880. It was a gift from Queen Victoria. It was made from the oak timbers of the exploration ship, the HMS Resolute. Now the word resolute means purposeful, unwavering, single-minded, adamant. And I thought that's an important desk in the Oval Office because we want that kind of mindset, purposeful, unwavering, single-minded, adamant from our president as he serves our nation. Jesus was resolute. Jesus was resolute. So he was purposeful. He was unwavering. He was single-minded. He was adamant. So much so that he led the way to Jerusalem. He knew what his purpose was. And because he knew what his purpose was, he led the way. And I think that's important. The second thing, Jesus will be sacrificed. Jesus will be the sacrifice the Lord will provide. Jesus will be the sacrifice the Lord will provide. Jesus knew what the future held for him. How many of you know what the future holds for you? Raise your hand. Well, you're the ultimate future. Yes. The ultimate future, when you die, you get to go to heaven. But who of you knows what tomorrow will hold? I mean, we really don't. But Jesus did. Jesus knew what the future held. In fact, it says in verse 32 there, he says, um, And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. He took the disciples aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He knew what the future held. He really knew from the first words recorded. His first words recorded were, I must be about my father's business. Jesus knew what he was supposed to do. He needed to be about his father's business. And his father's business was to be the savior of the world. That's what the angel said to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In Genesis chapter 22, and I'll let you read that on your leisure today, but there is a story of Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham has been asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. You remember the story. And I think the story, if you read that story and the story of Jesus and his sacrifice, I think there's some similarities there. We've talked about this before. Abraham takes Isaac to a mountain, 
And many believe that this mountain is the same as Mount Golgotha, where Jesus was sacrificed. If you read the story in Genesis 22, Abraham places the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac's back, and Isaac carries the wood for the sacrifice. And of course, Jesus carries his cross to Golgotha. This might be where it separates a little little bit. Isaac wondered after he got up there, where's the sacrifice? Well, Jesus knew that the sacrifice was going to be him. But Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide. God will provide. Remember that? God will provide. And how does the Lord provide? Well, the angel stops the hand of Abraham as he's bringing down the knife and says, wait, I understand now that you are committed, basically. And so uh, the Bible says that Moses noticed a ram caught in the thicket. Remember that? And it says there at the end of Genesis 22 that Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. It's a name, an Old Testament name for God. And the name is Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. The God who provides. When no suitable sacrifice, and we'll talk about this in a minute, when no suitable sacrifice could be found, God provided His Son, Jesus. And so Jesus will be the sacrifice the Lord will provide. Point number two. Jesus explains the purpose of His direction. Jesus pretty much explains the purpose of His direction. The death of Jesus is perfectly explained in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of people say the Old Testament is for the Jews, the New Testament is for the Gentiles, us. No, the whole Bible is for us. The Old Testament perfectly explains the death of Jesus. The whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament. I was talking with our family and they were saying, you know, every year we kind of get gung-ho about reading the Bible through. And then we hit Leviticus. You know, and, 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 and that's the, that, that is the case. But that, because it's just, it's, it's intense, there's a lot of information there, and it's a, really an explanation of the sacrificial system. The death of Jesus is perfectly explained in the Old Testament. The whole sacrificial system was mandated by God. It was living out that the wages of sin required death. I mean, that's the New Testament passage. The wages of sin required death and that God would only accept an appropriate sacrifice in the place of a sinner. And so the Old Testament was all about how the sacrifice needed to be without blemish. It needed to be a perfect sacrifice for those sins. And we got to look at Hebrews because we were in Hebrews a couple years ago now. And I'm sure you remember this, don't you? Well, you don't know what I'm going to say yet, but uh, I know that you're going to remember this. Hebrews chapter 10, and this is what it says, verses 1 through 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeatedly endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, 
would they not have stopped being offered? Remember the the sacrifices? They had to do it day after day after day after day. And the priest's job was never done. He never sat down. He never sat down. Because there was always another sacrifice. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder. This is the Day of Atonement here, the annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But look over at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices over and over and over again, which can never take away sins. Ah, but verse 12. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, look at this, he sat down. Priests never sat down. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. John the Baptist, if you remember, introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that? Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those people following Jesus to Jerusalem knew enough about the Old Testament that they began to understand a little bit what was going on. And now for the third time, Jesus is explaining his purpose and future and his resolute direction to Jerusalem just in time for Passover. And look what it says about the disciples and those that were following. The disciples were astonished. All right, The disciples were astonished. They were starting to get a picture of what was going on. And then it also says, while those who followed were afraid. They're not really excited. They can kind of begin because they have a feeling of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system and the idea of a Savior. And Jesus has been talking about it now for three times. They kind of know what's going on and it started to sink in. And the next thing that Jesus does here with his words is he predicts five things. And we're going to go through these quick. The first one is this. Jesus will be betrayed. He says that in verse 13. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. And you know the sad thing about this is Jesus was betrayed by a disciple. Jesus was betrayed by a a friend. Judas had spent three years, we know, with Jesus. Judas heard his teachings. Judas saw his miracles. Judas spent some intimate time with Jesus. And Jesus knew the pain of betrayal. And I I got online and I started doing some research. This idea of 30 pieces of silver sounds like a lot. But really what it was, was each piece of silver was probably equivalent to a denarii. So a denarii in that day was about a day's wage. So Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, basically 30 days of a wage. And so Jesus was betrayed. Jesus also says he will be rejected. And he will be betrayed, it says, To the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. 
And you know what's interesting about this? Jesus was not betrayed by a few bad apples. You know, a few religious leaders who were just set on getting rid of Jesus. Jesus was rejected by the entire religious establishment in Israel. The entire religious establishment in Israel. The the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the other scribes and all the synagogue leaders, all of them condemned him to death. The Lamb of God betrayed and rejected. And then the next one, Jesus will be ridiculed. After they condemn him to death, they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After he is condemned, they mock him. They spit on him. And then they flog him. And we know all about that, especially if we saw the movie The Passion of the Christ. How brutal that flogging was. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was ridiculed. Hateful hearts. Hateful, hateful hearts doing hateful, hateful, evil things. And finally, Jesus will be killed. And in a few months, we'll get there, the end of the book of Mark, his crucifixion. We know that Jesus spent six hours on the cross, the most horrible, ghastly death imaginable, forsaken by God the Father. He said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. So Jesus knows what's happening. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be rejected. He knows he's going to be ridiculed. He knows he's going to be killed. He knows all about this. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there, right? Remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? On Friday, Good Friday, when Jesus is crucified, we've often said it's Friday... But Sunday's coming. Remember? It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. In all three of these predictions, Mark 8, 9, and 10, Jesus says at the end there, three days later, he will rise. Jesus also not only predicts his death, but predicts that he will rise from the dead. And that right there. You're thinking, where does, where does Christmas roll into here? Right there. Right there. The resurrection. That is the hope in Christmas. Christmas is the perfect holiday for hope. And remember, I, I saw somebody write this the other day. Remember, it's not this. It's not Xmas. You know, people try to abbreviate Christmas. Xmas. No, 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 no. The world is doing and will do everything possible to X out, to destroy, to outlaw our Christmas. We see it all the time. You can't have that cross. You can't have that manger scene. You can't sing those songs. In fact, I just read this past week that some school district that was doing Operation Christmas Child, they got banned from doing it. You can't do that. You can't do that in that public school. I mean, everybody's trying to X out Christmas. But we must always remember that the whole gospel message 
It's not only about a baby in a manger, but a Savior on a cross and out of an empty tomb. That's the hope of Christmas right there. So I was reading this past week, Dr. David Jeremiah, I get his uh, devotional every day, and he says, as Christians, we need to be nearsighted and farsighted. All right, I was, I was making toast this morning without my glasses. I can, I, it's getting bad. I mean, I can, I can kind of make out your fuzzy faces right now, but I, I got to have glasses to see. Uh, and I found out that I really need them to, to drive my car too. So I'm, I got a trouble with, with nearsighted and farsighted. I got to have glasses. I got I to gotta be able to focus. And when you're nearsighted, you need to be able to focus on the here and now, what's up front. When you're farsighted, you need to be able to focus on the future, the things out there. And so this devotional I thought was interesting. It says you need to be, as Christians, nearsighted and farsighted. You need to be nearsighted. We need to know what's going on in our world right in front of us, but we also need to have the hope of being farsighted. Like you were saying, Alex, you know the future. You, you got your future wrapped up. We need to have that. And so to conclude our message, I ask you this question. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? Are you all wrapped up in the world? Are you all wrapped up in who became president and you just it's it's just driving you absolutely bonkers are you all wrapped up in the traditions of the holidays and not really Jesus you know what are you what are, what are you focused on are you being a little too nearsighted do you need to think more about being farsighted at the bottom of your bulletin it says this don't let present circumstances whether joys or sorrows obscure your vision of the eternal blessings to come. And then we conclude with the title of our message, Christmas is a good time for hope. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, yeah, we focus on a lot of things, and some of them are right up front, right in our face every single day. And we get, uh, well, overwhelmed by that. And sometimes, Lord, we don't think far enough out. We think about tomorrow or next week or something like that. But, boy, the hope is in eternity. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be, well, both nearsighted and farsighted. And ultimately, as we begin this Christmas holiday, that we would be focused on Jesus, the Savior of the world. And I pray, Lord, that He's our Savior that there is not a person in here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if there is, that you would draw them to yourself even today. And that they would invite you in. So that they can have the hope that comes along with Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.